chapter 1 and verse 1 through 3. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Why don't you just give your neighbor a high five and tell them they are sure looking better than they normally do. Be careful. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, say this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Um, Pastor O'Connell asked me to teach tonight. Not He said specifically, don't preach. Um, so I want to teach on this subject, living a blessed life. Um, you may be seated. Does anybody want to live blessed? Does anybody want to experience the hand and, and blessing of God in their life in 2019? I sure hope you do because I would feel awfully lonely if you said no. Um, but it is my desire to live my life in such a way that God is able to bless me. We got to understand that it is God's desire to bless his people. It's his desire to do that. He's not looking down from heaven waiting on you or I to make a mistake or trip up or, or mess up. He's looking at us hoping that we will do the right thing so that he can bless us. That's what he's hoping for. If my, I want my students at school to do well. I want them to do well. And I tell them, I, because I want them to do well, I want them to know exactly what an A looks like. I want them to know what A effort, you know, sounds like and, and is like. I want them to know exactly how to study and prepare and, and do the things that they need to do to, to get the grade that I want them to have. I want that for them because I am on their side. I'm on their side, and I will do everything that I can to help them succeed. And let me just start off by saying this. Jesus is on your side. Jesus is on your side. If you are not sure about that up until this point, let me just clear the doubt in your mind. He is for you, and he's on your side. Living a blessed life is not a vague goal with indiscernible steps, but over and over throughout Scripture, God has presented to us some things that we can do to be blessed by him. If we want that in our life, he said, you can do some of these things, and I am going to bless you. Now that said, there are a lot of distorted views on what the blessing of God actually is. Right? While the Bible does indeed say that the righteous will never be forsaken, biblical blessing is not primarily a material blessing. I know that's going to hurt some feelings, um, but it's not primarily a material blessing. No matter what any television preacher might tell you, God is not mostly interested in making you rich. 
You can sow as many financial seeds into their ministry as you want, but that doesn't necessarily mean your check is in the mail. Um, That ain't Bible. (laughs) The blessing of God is not primarily a material blessing because, newsflash, the kingdom of God is not primarily a material kingdom. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, and we're familiar with it, but it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not that God won't provide for our needs. He will and He does and it's been evidenced over and over throughout our lives. But He is concerned with greater issues than how much stuff that I have. And I'm glad that He is, quite frankly. Um, Though God blesses us materially at times, it would be a lie to say He never does that. But though He does that at times, this is not a material blessing that we are seeking tonight. Rather... It is a perpetual state of blessing. The blessing of God is a state of perfect peace. It's a state of perfect love. It's a state of perfect joy. It's a state of perfect rest. Men boast of kingdoms of wealth and material gain and and those kind of things, but only Jesus Christ our Savior can establish a kingdom of perpetual blessing. In a natural kingdom, no matter how much wealth there is, the poorest of the poor are still going to be poor. That wealth never reaches down to the poorest of the poor and the destitute. They're they're doing without. But even the rich, even the rich that have the wealth, their heart is not touched, their soul is not affected, their emotion and, and that kind of thing, that's not taken care of in a natural kingdom. Yet Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of peace in the face of trouble. It's a kingdom of comfort and joy in the midst of sorrow. It's a kingdom of refreshing for those who are ready to faint. It's a kingdom of love and mercy in the face of fear and fear failure. Unlike natural kingdoms, the kingdom of God is not affected by outside conditions or circumstances, and no opposition can rob you of the blessing of God. In an ever-changing world, God has established an unchanging kingdom. And a thousand years from now, if our Lord tarries, the church will still be in the peace and love and joy and rest and restoration business because that is the foundation, that's the groundwork for God's unchanging kingdom. And this is the blessing of God that we are seeking. His kingdom is one of character. God rarely creates blessing for you and I by changing the circumstances and situations that we face. That's rarely how it happens. Rather, he develops us and he works in us and molds and shapes us to be like him until our godly character that he has put inside of us demands that we reach out and change our environment by the fact that we ourselves have been changed. That's how he does it. Paul and Silas were in the same prison everybody else was in. They didn't get any better circumstances. And you could make the argument that they had it worse because they didn't deserve to be there. And yet, not everybody in the prison was living blessed of God. 
Paul and Silas were the only ones, as I read, that are able in the midst of that, that trouble that they're in, in the midst of the persecution that they face, to have the joy of the Lord in their heart enough to be able to sing praise to God. That is that's Bible blessing. If you're able to do that, you are blessed because there's lots of people in the world that don't have that ability, that don't have the ability to find joy in the midst of that. And if you want to live a blessed life this year, we have to let God start changing our character and start changing our behavior because that's the root of true blessing. No, you might not have a million dollars in your bank account, you might not. Can't promise you that. But you'll have joy unspeakable. You'll have perfect peace. That's what the Bible says. You'll have love that casts out fear and insecurity. And that is worth a lot more if you lived any amount of time to you than all the other stuff. So David writes to us in the very first psalm and he says... If you want to be blessed, there are three big no-nos for you that you cannot do. He said, you ain't ever going to have peace, joy, love, or any of that other stuff in your life if you get these three things wrong. And he says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, that doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Can I tell you? that I've never seen a blessed person my entire life that has built their life around the counsel and advice of ungodly people. When we're talking about spiritual blessing, I've never seen somebody spiritually blessed that built their life around the counsel of ungodly people. As teachers, we say it like this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Who are we giving an ear to when we're making life's most important decisions? Who are we giving our ear to when we're frustrated and we're upset and we need somebody to talk to? It ought to be somebody who is rooted in truth. And it better be somebody that is living a God-honoring life and it is grounded in Him. Because if it's not, we are setting ourselves up for a life of colossal failure and disaster. I'm going to try to be friendly to everybody. I'm going to try to love everybody. But not everybody has earned the right to be a, an advice giver and a counsel giver in my life. Not everybody has. I've got friends who are fantastic people. They're great people. They value my friendship. They truly want the best for me. But they don't have the requisite relationship with God to value my soul. And I don't go to them for counsel. I don't go to them for counsel. I've been hurt in the church before. And that's been a lot of people. But I sure didn't seek counsel from my backslidden buddies. I went to my parents and I went to my grandparents and my grandfather who pastored for many years and he says, I'm sorry that you experienced that and you're going to get hurt sometimes, but if you'll just stick with it, you will see that God is faithful. And that counsel has been a crown to me instead of shackles in my life. I've went to Pastor O'Connell before and, and brought him this or that and he's told me some advice sometimes that quite frankly did not feel real good to my flesh. I didn't like it at the moment. But as I 
took heed to godly wisdom and understood that what he told me took into consideration my soul and it took into consideration my relationship with Jesus. That advice and counsel has caused me to be blessed. It has created peace and it's created joy and rest in my life. Are we building our lives upon the firm foundation of God's word or are we building it on the ways of this world? Don't build your house on the sand, as the, the parable says. We can't afford to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Next, David tells us that you ain't ever going to be blessed if you stand in the way of sinners. Now, this one I had to look up because I wasn't quite sure that I understood what this meant, and I'm glad that I did because I would have probably said maybe something good, but something maybe not what David meant. Um, but... David isn't actually talking about blocking a sinner from doing anything. He's not talking about keeping a sinner from repenting or coming back to the church. And, and I've heard that before, and maybe you have. But when David says, blesses the man that doesn't stand in the way of sinners, what he's saying is, you're blessed if you don't go where sinners go. You're blessed if you don't put yourself in a sinful environment. And I have seen great people fall on the wrong side of this one. And you have too. It was never their intention to be in the wrong. It was never their intention to forfeit the blessings of God in their life. They just positioned themselves in the wrong place. Notice the word even that David uses. He says those that stand in the way of sinners, not walk with sinners, not participate with sinners, but stand in the way that they go, that are in the places that they are. I know good people that never intended on getting caught up in the mess that they get caught up in. They were just going to go hang out at that party. They weren't going to participate in it. They were going to associate with sin. They weren't going to partake in sin. But it's impossible to position yourself in proximity to sin and not be affected by it. And I know, I know, people will tell you, well, Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus was God. And for us to presume that we are Jesus in that, in that instance is not accurate. We are the sinners that he ate with. <laughs> yes, but I can give you a real Bible story for this. Genesis 13, 12, if we can put this up here. You ever heard of a man called Lot? Lot walked with Abraham looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Lot was on the right track. And yet Lot, when he split from Abraham, pitched his tent towards Sodom. And he positioned himself in the way of sinners. He put himself and he put his family in a sinful environment. And it cost him his wife. It cost him his kids. It cost him his family. It cost him his legacy. It cost him his relationship with God. And maybe he got it right in the end or maybe he didn't. That's between him and God. But there was a lot of collateral damage along the way that he would have never had to go through if he would have just done it right from the beginning. If he wouldn't have put himself in that environment, his family wouldn't have went through that if he wouldn't have put himself in that environment they wouldn't have had to deal with some of the things that they had to deal with and I'm sure if he could tell you today he would say don't do what I did 
Don't put yourself in that place. Because even if, even if Lot comes through saved, what about his kids? What about his family? Even if I make it, what about those that are around me? What about them? So we can't put ourselves in that way. Finally, David says, blessed is the man who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Now, I love this one. This is my favorite. David, again, chooses his words very carefully. um, Because the more things change, the more they stay the same. I love that he notes that the critical and scornful people will be in a seat. That is the will of God for him to say. <laughs> because it is, it's always the scornful people that are quote-unquote seated. They are not the ones who are being productive. They're not the ones that are being productive. Folks who are the most critical never are the ones getting work done. The ones who are the most critical are never the ones that are the most bought in and invested. The ones that are the most critical are never the ones helping things be the very best that they can be. Forgive the the very secular quote, but the loudest boos come from often the cheapest seats. And the scornful and critical are oftentimes skilled at criticism and little else. We've got to be careful to remember, though, that while we are complaining, and it feels good to this flesh, I've done it, and you've complained before, too. But when we're complaining and criticizing, we are never being productive. We are never being productive. And when we're complaining and criticizing, we are never producing in that moment what God is calling us to produce. I know many aspiring ministers that that can complain about the church and its problems and can complain about their lack of opportunities and they have positioned themselves in the seat of the scornful instead of focusing on producing that which God has called them to produce. And consequently, they are leading a life and a ministry that God cannot and will not bless. We can't afford to see it in that seat. Now, before we move on to the next part of this, let me say that if we look at this in reverse order, this is a progression. David starts with the worst of the worst. He said, because if you're walking in the counsel of the ungodly, you need to get that right right now because you're not going to go where you want to go in the end if you're walking with the ungodly, if you're taking their advice. You're going to end up wrong. If you stand in the way of sinners, you might make it, but there's going to be some collateral damage. If you're somebody that's always criticizing everything, that's a bad place to be, but you got some hope for you, but be careful. But understand what David is showing us. If we sit in that seat of the scornful and get content there, eventually we will find ourselves standing in the way of sinners. Eventually you'll surround yourself with people that are thinking like you're thinking. And if you stand in that environment long enough, eventually we'll be walking in step with the wisdom of the ungodly. That's how it is. We have to be careful when we criticize. David says, don't do these three things, but rather, and I'm I'm glad I get to turn this, um, but rather delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Lots of people know what God asked of them, I think. Truth be told, I think we all know more scripture than we are always faithful to. You know, we all know that we need to pray 
It's just the act of praying that sometimes we struggle with. Um, and I don't mean everything is, is a daily battle, but, but you know what I'm getting at. But lots of people know what, what God is asking for them. Lots of people have the word of God in their head. Um, but the Bible doesn't ask us to put that word in our head. Psalm 119, verses 10 through 11 say this. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandment. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Didn't put it in my head. Now, if it's in your heart, it's been in your head for a long time. It's already went through your brain. But I didn't settle for it being up here. But I, I lived it and prayed it and loved it and sought God for it until it got down here where it could actually produce action and results in my life. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. When it was in my head, I could keep on sinning. But when I got this in my heart, it changed how I behaved and changed what I did. We can't just put this in our mind. We can't settle for this just being a, a passing familiarity for us. Everybody delights in the provision of God. Everybody delights in the miracles of God. Everybody delights in the goodness of God. But the blessed saint delights in the law of the Lord. It's the blessed saint that delights in the law. They've put it in their heart. They don't just live it. They love it. His commands aren't a fence keeping them restricted, but they're the walls and they're the foundation of a palace of righteousness and safety for them. I'm thankful for everybody that lives for God out of obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. And if we love God, we'll keep his commandments. But I pray that we can all begin to serve the Lord with gladness. I pray that we can put this word in our heart so that we might become not just an obedient people, as wonderful as that is, but that we could become a blessed people. We want to be a blessed people. So, so remember, we got to, David says, don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Rather, delight in the law of the Lord. And he continues on and says, and meditate on it day and night. Now, meditate here doesn't necessarily mean sit cross-legged on the floor um, and, and that. But it means to ponder, to talk about, to study, to think about. We got to keep this law and this book on the tip of our tongue and on the center of our consciousness. Don't let the goodness of God and his ways be the last thing that comes to your mind after you get up. Don't let it be the last thing that you think about before you sleep. But as you go about your day, be thinking about his goodness. Be thinking about his ways. Be thinking about what he's doing and, and his plan and his ways in that time. When David says these things, when David says, delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on them, that's not original to David. David is reaching back all the way into Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And, and this will be familiar to us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And here we go. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Delight in the Lord. Delight in the law. 
And then he's going to get into this meditate on it. We'll keep going. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shall talk of them. When are you going to talk about them? You're going to talk about them when thou sittest in thine house. And when you walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when you rise up. And you're going to bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them on the post of your house. And on your gates. If you're going to be in this thing, you got to be in this thing. You can't just be blessed of God living Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday. But you got to get it in your heart and think about it when you get up. you got to think about the ways of God as you're going about your day. You've got to find a, a time to talk about them and share them. Teach them to your kids. Make them known in your life. Make the ways of God known to yourself and to your family and those around you. That's how you set yourself up for the blessing of God. David says, if we do these things, this is what's going to happen. He said, you're going to be like a tree planted. Everybody say planted by the rivers of water. Now, if you plant something, you do it on purpose most of the time. But if you plant something, you do it on purpose. And as you do these things, God is going to place you and he's going to establish you according to his wisdom and his will. And he's going to do it with a purpose. Many people try to plant themselves. And, and as we see, it often doesn't last. But when we submit ourselves to God in this way, God is going to be the one planting our lives so that our faith will last the test of time. Matthew 15 and 13, and Jesus speaking, and it says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. If we're planting ourselves, but we're not rooted in this word, if we don't have this in our heart, if we're not meditating on this, we ain't going to last. We're not going to last. But if we've got this word and we're submitted to him and we're going to godly counsel and we're not sitting in the seat of the scornful and not standing in the way of sinners, God is going to establish us so that every wind of doctrine doesn't blow you about. Every wind of adversity doesn't blow you about. You're not going to be shaken this way and that way when, when something comes your way, but you're going to be planted and established in him. And better than that, he's not just going to put you in any old place. He says, I'm going to plant you by the rivers of water. I'm going to put you in a place that's got all that you need. I'm not just going to put you in the middle of some mess, but I'm going to put you in a place that has everything that you need to make it through. In Genesis 1.11, God is, is telling the earth to, to bring forth seed and, and fruit and, and all this and grass. And how can he ask this of the earth? Well, he can ask it because he put each plant in the individual environment that it needed in order to be productive. Some plants need lots of water, and some plants need just a little water. Some plants need lots of sun, and some plants need a little. Some need, you know, a warmer climate, and some need a cooler climate. But God put them all individually in the environment that they needed to be productive. And that's the same promise he is giving to us. I'm going to plant you, and I'm going to make it where you can't be blown about every which way, and I'm going to give you the things around you that you need to accomplish every Everything that I have called you to do. 
as we follow his word, he's going to do that for us. Next, David tells us that we're going to bring forth fruit in our season. What a promise. That is divine blessing if I have ever heard it. Um, we're going to bring forth fruit in our season. As we follow his steps and his commands, God is going to make sure that we are prepared when our moment comes. When it's time for our season, we're going to be able to do what he's called us to do and be able to bring forth fruit. This is the story of David. No doubt it was familiar to him. He was anointed king and yet it wasn't his season. He was anointed king and yet it wasn't his time yet. And he finds himself out in the pasture watching sheep and, and experience that great company that sheep can provide and, and smelling the sheep and being around the sheep. And probably to him he couldn't feel any further from his kingship. He couldn't feel any further from where he was needing, feeling like he needed to go. Yet, because he submitted to God and he submitted to the word of God and the ways of God and meditated on him and, and gave his life to him. By the time David saw Goliath on that battlefield, God had put some things in him that allowed him to be productive when it was his season. Hear me. It ain't because David beat the lion and the bear, that he was able to defeat Goliath. That actually wasn't even the first thing that David thought about. David only mentions that when Saul says, you can't go, and that's not exactly the context of that, and I'll show you here in a second. But David had already defeated Goliath when he gets on the battlefield in 1 Samuel 17, 26, and he says this, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is not reaching down into his own ability. David is not saying this Philistine has defied David who will be king of Israel. David is not talking about I can whip everybody. I whipped a lion and a bear. David is saying this uncircumcised Philistine is not in covenant with God like we are in covenant with God and because of that we can win this fight David isn't reaching into his own ability, David's reaching into the law, he's reaching into the promise that he had put in his heart it's why it's so important for us to get this in here um, David is not using his, the start of his season to promote himself and build his own kingdom, but he is producing God-honoring fruit to remind the people around him to have faith in God, to believe him for what he already promised them that he would do. And David, eventually he goes to Saul, and, and he's telling him about all the things that he had to do defending his father's sheep because Saul says, you can't go, you're going to die. Um, in, in 1 Samuel 17, verses 36 through 37, David is summing up his plea to go on the battlefield, and he says this, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing as he defied the armies of the living God. Not because he's a great fighter, but because Goliath has positioned himself against God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with me. 
Now, this is never how I read this story or heard this story told, so this is nervous. It makes me nervous. But when I read this about this deliver business, that does not mean that David is saying, now, Saul, I don't mean to brag, but I whipped that bear, and I whipped that lion, and God with me, I'm going to whip this Philistine too. You don't say, if somebody said, I was delivered from smoking, you don't say, I whipped it, you know. I've been robbed at gunpoint, and God delivered me out of that, but I didn't do any whipping. God just did a lot of delivering. I've been delivered out of a lot of things. I've been delivered from a car wreck, and I've been delivered from this or this or this. I've been delivered from a tumor, and I'm thankful that God delivered, but it had very little to do with what I could do. And when David says, and think about put yourself in this story. How pretentious would it be of David to say, yeah, a bear came up on me and I just went after it. David's not saying that at all. David's saying, I was doing my father's will, guarding his sheep, and a bear came up. It was not a good situation, Saul. It was, in fact, about the worst day that I can think of. But I was doing my father's will, and I was, I was just doing the best that I could. And God delivered me from that. I managed to kill the bear because God was with me. I managed to kill the lion because God was with me. I should not have made it out of that alive. And I understand what you're saying, Saul, that he's been a warrior from his youth and I should die and you're right I should not make it out of this alive yet I'm out here doing the will of my father and God in the same way that he was with me in those times and delivered me in those times he's going to deliver me in this time He's not reminding Saul of his own fighting ability. He's reminding Saul of the promises and the word and the law of God and Saul is reminded, and he says, Go, and the, and the Lord be with you, for this going to be the last time we talk. David says, I know that I've been faithfully following the commandments and the word of God, and he's not going to allow me to be unfruitful when my season comes to pass. I'm, I'm getting close. Um, David says, he goes on to say, your leaf will not wither. No matter what season of life you walk through, you're going to be okay. No matter what season of life you walk through, you're never going to be forsaken. I've seen some, I've seen some Christians do, go through some of the worst stuff and circumstances imaginable. You've seen it. And go through stuff that just makes you think, how in the world? Can they go through that and come into church and raise a hand? How can they go through that and carry on another day? How can you handle adversity like that as well as you do? How can you handle that? How can you make it through that? It's the blessing of God. It is the blessing of God in their life. The winter that would kill the leaf of the unbeliever will not wither the leaf of the blessed saint of God. God's saints are evergreen. Paul, how can you sing praise in a prison? How can you do that? It's because he's got the blessing of God. He's got the joy of the Lord. And he's not going to allow the, the winters and, and circumstances of life to wither what God has put in him. That's the blessing of God. And finally, we can stand, musician, and come. 
Finally, David gets on, he gets to the big finish, and he tells us that if we do these things, if we will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, if we don't stand in the way of sinners, if we don't sit in that seat of the scornful, but instead, if we will delight ourselves in the law of the Lord and meditate on that day and night, gets to his last benefit that he lists and says, and whatsoever you do will prosper. You know, when we put God first, we put his word first, he blesses us other places. He's blessed me places that I never even prayed for him to bless me in. You know that to be true? When we put God first, our prayer life is going to prosper. Our wisdom is going to prosper. We'll prosper at work and in what we do. Our preaching will prosper. Our raising of our children will, will prosper. And this is the blessing of God. Psalm 37 and 4 says this. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, sanctuary. My desires have changed quite a bit from the desires that I had before I started trying to put his word in my heart and trying to live for him. My desires have changed some. He's reordered my priorities. But I have found this verse to be so true that as I have submitted myself to him and, and, and submitted myself to his purpose and, and tried to serve him with gladness, that the things that my heart truly desired and needed, he has provided for me. He's allowed me to be in a relationship with him. He's allowed me to have a closeness of, with him that I know good and well even on a Wednesday night that I do not deserve, that I certainly did not earn. He's allowed me to have joy in my heart when I should have had sorrow. He's allowed me to have peace that surpasses understanding. He's allowed my spirit to have rest when I was ready to throw in the towel and when I was ready to wither. He let my... He kept me. He's allowed me to have love that casts out fear and casts out anxiety and casts out doubt and, and unbelief. These are the desires of the heart that has delighted in the Lord and these are the blessings of God that we're seeking tonight. I wonder if somebody could, would go to God right now where you are. Maybe you want to move to the altar. Maybe you want to lean at your seat and say, God, I want what he's preaching about. I want I want you to bless my life. I want this peace in my life. 